Several of you have asked me, how did the revival go last week? Interesting you asked that question. Uh, I believe honesty is the best policy, and I've always tried to be straightforward with you. Well, there was confusion about the revival. Uh, I had talked with the pastor on two different times, and, when, and he called me each of those times, and he gave me two different dates that I had on my calendar. Uh, I went to Marlene. She had the date of last Sunday on her calendar. I had that date on mine. I called him Saturday night to say I was looking forward to being with him Sunday morning. Are you ready to receive me? And there was silence on the other end of the phone. And uh, after a minute, he says, oh, it is the fourth Sunday, isn't it? And I said, yes, sir. He says, okay, yeah, we're, we'll be looking for you in the, in the morning. And uh, we talked just a minute, and he hung up. About three hours later, he called me back last Saturday evening and uh, said, Rick, uh, there's a mistake. I, I've looked at my calendar, and I've talked to my wife, and we've come to the conclusion that the revival is the fourth Sunday of September, not August. I said, really? He said, can you still do it? I said, yes, sir, I, I can still do that. So uh, I was not going to call uh, Dr. Du Bois last Sunday, Saturday night, and it was a big day planned for him to be with you, and didn't he do a great job? And very thankful for him and his leadership and his willingness to come. And uh, so I, I stayed home last Sunday morning. My wife came and taught her class. But uh, the first time I've done that in years and years. And, uh, but I did. But I will be preaching there the last Sunday in September for revival. And we're thankful to be able to do that. And uh, sorry about that happening. Uh, you know, often God just helps us prove to ourselves our humanity and our ability to mess things up. So I thank you for your prayers for me. <laughs> you can keep praying for the September meeting, uh, and we'll get that done. Thank you so much for being here on this holiday weekend. I'll try not to keep you too long today. There's a lot to say about this particular passage we're going to look at today in the book of Peter. Excuse me, the book of Galatians. I'm going to be talking about Peter. But as we look at that, turn to your, in your Bible to chapter 2. And last time we looked at verses 1 through 10. And today we're going to look at verses 11 through 14. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. You follow on the printed page as I read aloud. Now, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. That's a pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? Because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews, that's the other members of that church at Antioch, the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter, 
in front of them all. If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul was a team player. We find that several times on his missionary journeys as he took others with him and and in the places where he went. He was a team player. He loved people. He reached out to the Gentiles with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew how to work with veteran saints. That was evidence and we looked as uh, previously as he went to the uh, Jerusalem conference there and and went before those super saints and those older saints, including Peter, who was a leader of the group. But he knew how to deal with them, folks like Barnabas and Silas. And he knew how to work with young men and to lead them in the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and ministering the church, like Timothy and Titus and even John Mark. But Paul realized that there was something more important than a positive attitude and a good team spirit. In Paul's life, the most precious thing in his life was not being a part of the team. The most precious thing in Paul's life was his personal relationship with Jesus. You see, Paul understood that when a person becomes a Christian, all that they had and were in the past is gone, and they become brand new people, brand new creatures in Christ Jesus. You're no longer a Gentile or a Jew. You're no longer of one color of skin or another. You're no longer one language speaking or another. You're all Christians A Christian is someone whose life has been transformed by the power of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their background, their family, their nationality, the color of their skin. Nothing else matters is trusting in the finished work of Jesus and anyone who has believed on Jesus as Lord and Savior is my brother or sister in Christ. And they're to be revered, they're to be respected, they're to be loved as fellow Christians. And Paul felt that strongly. A Christian is someone whose life has been transformed through their belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. And nothing would distract him from that truth and that position, not even so-called ministerial ethics. Paul knew that that's not something you normally do, to call out another preacher, another minister of the gospel, not another apostle on their mistakes. But it was so gross and it was so negligent on Peter's part. It it, it was him being a hypocrite that Paul could not let that hurt go unnoticed and undealt with. Next to the name of Jesus... The two names most associated with the Christian faith are Paul and Peter. And here there was a conflict between the two. Paul and Peter, two apostles, two leaders in the church, two great men of God who told the truth and who led others to faith in Christ. Two giants in Christian heritage. 
And yet we need to remember that they were simply sinners saved by grace. That needs to be applied to everyone we know in the Christian faith. Whether a person is the pastor of the church, a deacon in the church, a Sunday school teacher, a youth in the youth department, everyone is to be viewed as a sinner saved by grace. Altogether, we're part of the family of God. None is elevated above the others. All are called to follow Christ. Even the pastor, the minister of the gospel, is just filling the calling that God's given him. Jesus is Lord. He is to be praised. He is to be worshiped. He is to be responded to in our lives that we walk faithfully with him, communing with him, and trusting him in our everyday life. The only hero we have and the only person we have faith in is the Lord Jesus Christ. All the rest of us are simply sinners saved by grace. Thankful for that, amen? Absolutely thankful for that. But no one is supposed to be elevated to a super-Christian. No one is to be elevated to be one that would lord over the people of God and a person that has all the answers. There's not a one of us that has all the answers. There is one that we trust in who has all the answers, and that's Jesus. And we trust him in our lives. We trust him in his church. Now, when Paul and Peter and others wrote Scripture, I will remind you that they wrote under the inspiration and, domin excuse me, and the domination, I should say, oh, of the Holy Spirit of God. They did not write of themselves. Every word they wrote in Scripture is absolutely perfect, inerrant, and is the Word of God. It is infallible, and you can trust the Word of God in everything in your life. They were sinners saved by grace. So in their living, they were imperfect, but in their being used of God, they penned the perfect truth of God sometimes we do things we ought not to do I should get a bunch of old me's but I, I, I know you refrain from that sometimes we do things we shouldn't do we say things we shouldn't say and that's what we find here in this passage that that Paul wants to tell them about of what he stood up to with Peter, this great leader of the church, a man of God, who had come from Jerusalem up to Antioch to there visit with that church in Syria. Antioch was a great missionary church. It had started other churches. They, they had sent out missionaries around the whole part of that part of the world and, and to tell people about Jesus. The church at Antioch was predominantly a church made of people who were Gentiles, but it did have some Jewish Christians in it, those that had come out of the Jew Jewish faith into Christianity, and they were all a part of the same church. And he enjoys fellowshipping with them, regardless of their background. Paul enjoys that. You find that always in him. 
It didn't matter a person's background. It didn't matter what they had been previously. But in Christ, they were his brother or sister, and he enjoyed that time of fellowship. In his former days, he had walked in Judaism. What he did, he would have never done in the past because as a Jew, he had been taught to sit down with a meal with Gentiles would be to defile himself. That's Peter I'm talking about. But now he's a Christian and he's sitting there enjoying a meal with, at a sister church that he had gone to visit and just to see how things were going there and, and to encourage them. And he's sitting there eating with them meals day after day and fellowship with them. But he is, as a Christian, he's now doing that because of his faith in Jesus, believing that we're all a part of the body of Christ. There are ones that Paul had been dealing with for years. These are the ones that kept trying to push the law into the Christian faith. They were saying, you can be elevated Christian, an elevated Christian, if you'll do these things on top of trusting Jesus. We've talked about that several times. And so when they got to Antioch and they saw Peter sitting there with the Gentiles, they communicated to him their complete disgust with that, these leaders that had come in. And Peter withdrew, it says, and separated himself from those Gentile Christians. Now, Paul comes back on the scene. He goes back to Antioch, and somebody told him what had transpired. Paul, do you know what Peter's done? Do you know how he acted? He came in here fellowshipping with us and, and enjoying our time of worship and being a part of us. And these Jews came down, these supposedly Christians that had had a transformation of life, and when they walked in, they told him they couldn't believe that he was sitting down and eating with Gentiles. And Paul got up and walked away and sat with them and ate with us no more, wouldn't have anything else to do with us, and Barnabas followed him. I said, Paul, I meant Peter. And he would not have anything to do with us. He has no fellowship with us. He spends his time with these big shots from Jerusalem. Then when Paul hears that, Paul absolutely forgets everything he ever learned about ministerial ethics. And he publicly, not privately, according to this passage, confronts Peter and rebukes him openly in front of everybody for them to hear and to see the stand that he takes. And that's what these verses are about. It's Paul public, is Paul's public rebuke. I'll get it out. Rebuke of Peter. As we look at that, 
I think there are lessons here for us. Four questions that I want to ask and answer in the next few minutes. First of all, why does Paul bring this up in the book of Galatians? He's not there at the church at Antioch. He's at a church in Galatia. He's there with these other Christians. Why did this happen? I don't know. The scripture doesn't tell us why it happened. Matter of fact, it's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture of this taking place or Paul responding to it. There were some who were saying, including some of those so-called professing Christians from Jerusalem, that Peter was wrong to sit down with the Gentiles. Now, some of them had really been saved. Some of them really loved Jesus. But this was a group of false professors because they're trying to mix Judaism and the laws of the Old Testament and all of the things that they had to do and follow. They were trying to mix it with Christianity. And Paul is very clear, even before the council in Jerusalem, that Peter was there and Peter spoke up to support him in saying that he was right about the gospel was for all people. And they encouraged Paul and sent him back out from those, those church leaders to go and to continue to reach the Gentiles with the gospel and to baptize them and them as they came to faith in Christ. They'd been there. So Paul is defending his apostleship. He says, I'm an apostle because God called me to be an apostle. Of, uh, an apostle. That's what chapter 1 is all about in this book. Paul has already spoken of that. He said, this is not some vocation that I've entered on my own desire and on my own. Paul says, I'm an apostle by the calling of God personally in my life. He said, not only does the call of God affirm my apostleship, but the Jerusalem conference affirms my apostleship. We looked at that a couple of Sundays ago. Remember, 14 years after Paul had been saved and had gone to have time alone with Jesus and to grow and to learn, 14 years after that is when he went to Jerusalem before this conference. That's when he stood there before Peter and they had affirmed him and he reminds them of that. And in the final analysis, they said, salvation is a matter of grace. It is a matter of grace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work through his death, burial, and resurrection and nothing else matters. And so Paul says, my apostleship is not only because of God calling me personally, but it's been affirmed by the Jerusalem council that I was called of God, and my apostleship was affirmed at that conference. And then thirdly, he says, my apostleship is affirmed by the fact that I'm not intimidated. Not even by Peter, I am not intimidated 
He was a chief apostle. But I publicly rebuked him when it was necessary. And that's why Paul brings this up. It is for his third and final evidence of affirming his apostleship. Remember he first said, God called me. Secondly, he went before the council and they affirmed him. And now he says, I further have had my apostleship affirmed by my willingness to speak the truth and even rebuke Peter. The second question is, what exactly was Peter's sin that Paul was calling out? His sin was a sin of hypocrisy, claiming to be something and then acting in a different way. In verse 13, it says, And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. A hypocrite. His sin was that of being a hypocrite. And, and listen to what, he, as he said that, a hypocrite is a person who says one thing and then does another. Oh, you've used that word before. You're, you're just a hypocrite. You say one thing and you do another. Matter of fact, it hurts the most when your children say that to you. When you told them what stands you take and what they better do and how they better live and to, to follow your example, and then they see you being a hypocrite, they would never say to you, you're a hypocrite. They go, Daddy. And you know what that means. But here, a hypocrite is a person who says one thing and does another. And it was a brief, brief lapse of Peter into hypocrisy. No, ever, no place else do we see that happening, and it's not mentioned anywhere else. It was not his normal reaction. It was, he had been there. He was eating with the Gentiles. He wasn't being a hypocrite, hypocrite and come in and not sit down at the table with them and fellowship with them. He was not refusing to worship with them. But when others that didn't think that was kosher, didn't think that was the right thing to do, he got up and left the table with them, and even Barnabas followed him and did not fellowship with them any further. He was being a hypocrite. He has now fallen into public hypocrisy. So therefore... Paul evidently figured out that his rebuke needed to be public. Now, there are some sins that are private. There are some sins in your life that are very private, in my life, that are private. And those sins are to be confessed to God privately. They didn't affect anybody else. They're not a part of your everyday living and so we confess them privately in our personal time with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are some sins that are public sin. And to be right with God, you are to confess them publicly. Peter was rebuked publicly because his sin was public. His sin was hypocrisy. Now, I'm not going to defend the Apostle Paul in this. 
I think it's a dangerous thing to point out somebody else's sin and to point it out publicly. I, I remember you've heard this old adage that my mother used to say, when you're pointing a finger at somebody else, you got three pointing back at yourself. And so we have to remember that we're all guilty of sin. We're all guilty of doing the wrong thing and not living as God would have us to live day in and day out. But here, he felt it was, there was such a need that his sin should be pointed out, his sin of hypocrisy. You know, I've heard folks say, I can put up with anything, but I can't put up with a hypocrite. Well, how do you live with yourself? You know, we can be so much of a hypocrite sometimes. Say one thing, believe one thing, talk about one thing, promise one thing, commit to one thing, and then do another. Paul just called him on the carpet about it. But what, that brings me to the third question. What causes hypocrisy? How could a person like Peter, who was a spokesperson for the disciples, the leader of the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, how could he possibly do this? Well, look here in verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. There it is, fear, fear. The reason people who really are saved lapse into hypocrisy is because of fear. Peter did this because of fear, a fear of who was, was obviously doing the right by enjoying fellowship with these Gentiles but when others came in, he was afraid. He withdrew and separated himself away from them toward the others. Why did he do that? Because of fear. You say, preacher, why do you say that? Well, that's what the word says. It's not of God. The Bible says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You see, his fear caused him to do that. And God's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love, yes. And he was sharing that with the Gentiles, believers. A love, he gives us a spirit of love and of power. He should have had the power to ignore those coming in. He should have had the wherewithal to just continue what he was doing. And of a sound mind. He knew better. When you allow something to make you afraid to the point of compromising what you know spiritually to be right, that is not of God. That's not his will. You don't have to receive anything that doesn't come from God. And yet Peter became afraid and did what he did. Now, this is the same Peter that at the Jerusalem conference swayed the opinion of all of the others present 
I mean, it was Peter who said, listen, Paul is right. God spoke to me, and I went to the house of Cornelius, and I opened the door of the gospel to the Gentile world, and I know what Paul is saying is right. Salvation is not grace plus anything. Salvation is not grace plus the law. Salvation is a work of grace alone by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knew that to be true. That's what he shared to the Jerusalem conference. And then out of fear... He's hypocritical. If you've had some great spiritual victory in your life, and we all have at times, don't be pulling out the PowerPoint slides and, and, and putting them together and headed to another church to give your testimony. The thing we ought to do is to get on our face before God. To stay like that because after you've had a great spiritual triumph, that's when the devil's going to come and he's going to tempt you to take credit for who you are and to take credit for the decisions you've made and, and what a super Christian you are. He's going to come and knock you off your high horse as you do that. That's what happened here. You read the first 10 verses. Peter gets a... An A plus for making the stand. Hallelujah. Verse 11, verses 11 through 14, he gets a double F. He failed in his walk. One last question. What's so bad about it? Does he lose his salvation over it? No. You can't lose your salvation. Why? Because you didn't find it. God found you. And God called on your heart and called you to repentance and to trust him. If you can't, didn't find it, you can't lose it. It's a gift from God that he promises he will never take back. You know, Baptists have a little slogan they used to say a lot, once saved, always saved. You ever heard that? Well, you know, it's not just a slogan. It's a teaching of the Word of God. When you're saved, you're born of the Spirit of God. You're born into the family of God. You were dead in trespasses and sin, but you were made alive in Christ Jesus. And you can't die again. You can't become unsaved. You can't become unborn it's not something you can lose. You're given it forever and ever. Does he lose his salvation? No, because God never takes it back. Verse 11 says, But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to blame. Hypocrisy is never good. It's always bad because it is indefensible. If someone ever points it out to you and you know you've really been a hypocrite about that, it's indefensible. All you can say is, you're right. 
I really messed up. I'm sorry. I should have never said that. You're right. It's indefensible. That means what he had done had no defense. Peter was wrong. But Peter admitted it. He didn't send out some on the spin doctors to try to put a positive twist on what he had said and what he was doing. Hypocrisy is always indefensible, and there is nothing that can be said to justify it. When you say one thing and do another, there is never a justifiable way of defending it. Number two, it is hurtful to others. Look at verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself. Can you imagine how hurtful that was to that church? Can you imagine how hurtful that was? Peter, Peter, the great apostle, the one who walked with Jesus, the, the one who really presides over most of the known church now, the one that everybody looks to for leadership. He has played the hypocrite. Can you imagine the hurt? Most of them young Christians. It was a relatively young church. What a joy it must have been to have had Peter to come to their church, to come to their church and to worship with them and to be a part of their fellowship. But what hurt it had done. A hurt to their spirit to see Peter get up from the table and to walk to another part of the room and sit down with those that have come and were surprised that he was eating with those Gentiles. Hypocrisy is always hurtful to other people. Have you ever seen that? Someone that seems to be so lovely and kind and, and such a blessing to other people and always embracing them publicly and always sounds a little bit like a politician, doesn't it? But then you see them privately. They could be snobs. No we'll forget one time I was at the Southern Baptist Convention. I was chairman of the board at Lifeway. I felt I wasn't worthy of the position, but I was thankful for the privilege to be able to serve. Matter of fact, I served two consecutive terms as, as I said, president, chairman of Lifeway board I saw one of the seminary professors that I'd had previous conversation with I saw him at the convention and he was out at a restaurant and I walked up to him and I spoke to him stuck out my hand he looked down at me 
And then he looked up and said something to somebody else, turned his back and never even acknowledged that I held my hand out. Never acknowledged that I was a fellow believer, a brother, a servant in the Southern Baptist Convention, chairman of the board. I stood there with my hand out to his back. I felt so belittled. I was embarrassed. I didn't know what I had ever done to cause him to act that way. Then I remembered it wasn't me. His proud and haughty spirit would not bow. His pride kept him from being humble and kept him from reaching out to a fellow believer just to speak, just to say, hey, how are you doing today, man? Good to see you. But not one word. You see, hypocrisy always hurts others. Hypocrisy has a negative influence on other people. And the rest of the Jews, it says in verse 13, also played the hypocrite with him. That means the other Jews, Christians that lived there to Antioch, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their hypocrisy. A brief moment of hypocrisy can have a great negative influence on other people. You see, when Peter got up, these other Jewish Christians that were sitting there with the Gentiles got up. Even Paul's companion, Barnabas, Paul's partner in mission to the Gentiles, even Barnabas got up and moved over. Hypocrisy has a negative influence on others. Fourthly, and I'm almost through, Hypocrisy is contrary to the gospel. Look at verse 14. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. Hypocrisy is always in conflict with the gospel. It's contrary to it. What is the truth of the gospel? It is the good news of God that in Jesus Christ, any person can come to faith and can be made brand new. The former things are passed away. You become new in Christ Jesus. Contrary to being a part of the family of God. It's contrary to the truth of the gospel. And hypocrisy is always in conflict with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, Paul has a lot to say about this hypocrisy. It adversely affects your testimony. Look at the last part of 14, verse 14. I said unto Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as a Jew, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? Peter said, you've all, I mean, he said to Peter, you've already done this 
Don't you understand, Peter? Your testimony has been adversely affected. You've already sat down and communed with Gentiles, and now you act in this way. Now, this is not the last time we see Peter in the Bible. Peter really did get it right. He really did get it right with God about this, and never again did he ever seem to even question that truth. He didn't have that problem. Have we not all these, con uh, these temporary lapses into hypocrisy? Yes. What do you do about it? You repent of it. You ask for God's forgiveness. Lord, I don't want to, to base my life upon being afraid of what somebody else might think or say or do. Lord, I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. I don't want to give in to popular opinion. I want to walk with you faithfully all of my life. I'm thankful as a Baptist. I'm thankful as a member of the Dalrada Baptist Church. We have laid those things aside many years gone by. That we walk in love. We walk in the spirit of love and affection. We walk in the spirit of, of being equal with others and others equal with us. And we walk in the spirit as the Dalrada Baptist Church that we love everyone who has come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We love the sinner who has never come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We reach out to them. We say to them, God loves you. I love you. Would you not come to him and have your sins forgiven and have everlasting life, a relationship with Jesus, to know the Father loves you and is forgiven? you and to have a home in heaven we do not withdraw ourselves from anyone because they're different hypocrisy is ugly hypocrisy will rob you of your joy is one thing to say you love Jesus it's another thing to live as though you love Jesus it's one thing to say that Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. It's another thing to have been set free from malice, from bitterness, for dis from dislike, to be able to say to any person, any person that you come in contact with, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He will be your Lord and Savior if you but ask him. And to be that kind of a Christian, always reaching out, living in the truth, caring about the souls of others. Truly, Peter blew it on that occasion. Truly, Paul pointed it out very strongly and boldly. Truly, Peter learned, and we never see him fall to that ever again. And truly, God has used Peter, his testimony, his example, and his work to further the gospel through the generations. And even we are influenced by the life, the calling, the ministry, and the testimony 
of the Apostle Peter. Aren't you thankful for a God that will take us in all of our hypocrisies, willing to forgive us, willing to set us free from those things, and will use us for his glory, for the benefit of the gospel and others coming to faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this truth, a difficult truth it is. Lord, a very difficult passage to preach on. But Lord, it's a part of your word and it's needed and we must look at the total counsel of God. Lord, thank you for this, this testimony of Paul. Thank you for the way he was so open about what had taken place and help us to understand that it was so necessary for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. And Lord, you set it straight even with the church leaders at that time. And through the years, we have understood that the gospel is open to every person in the world. May we proclaim it. May we live it. May we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.